Hi, my name is Lore. The Old Testament reading is found in Proverbs 27, 9 through 10, and 17. Oil and incense make the heart glad, and the sweetness of friends comes from their advice. Don't desert your friend or a friend of your family. Don't go to your relative's house when disaster strikes. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens a friend. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is found in Acts 18, 24 through 26. Meanwhile, a certain Jew named Apollos arrived in Ephesus. He was a native of Alexandria and well-educated and effective in his use of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and spoke as one stirred up by the Spirit. He taught accurately the things about Jesus, even though he was aware only of the baptism John proclaimed and practiced. He began speaking with confidence in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they received him into their circle of friends and explained to him God's way more accurately. The word of the Lord. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in John 15, 12 through 15. This is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I heard from my father, I have made known to you. The gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray. Thank you, Lord, for that scripture reading. Father, we come before you and we're amazed at that passage of scripture that you would call us friends. What an amazing idea that because of the work of Jesus and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, we've been brought into your family, called sons and daughters, and also called your friends. Help us to understand that more today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to see you. Today, those of you who are here in person and those of you who are watching online, there is a story about St. Francis. If you don't know who St. Francis is, he was a leader uh, in the Christian church in the 13th century, and uh, St. Francis started a number of monastic sort of movements and orders. If you don't know who he is, you've probably seen his statue in your neighbor's garden. He's the guy that is like the monk that's always surrounded by animals, birds and squirrels and those kinds of things. He's known as the patron saint of animals. Uh, but there's a story about Francis uh, in one of the communities that he started, there was a young friar. And this friar became a part of the movement uh, of a way of living that was connected to Francis of trying to embody the way of Jesus in the time period that they lived in. And this young friar had this deep affection and admiration um, for Francis. He idolized him actually in, in many ways and saw Francis as this sort of beacon of light and hope and guidance for him. But over the course of time, he became convinced that Francis actually despised him. That he began to tell himself a story that Francis hated him. And as a result of that kind of message that he began to internalize, he began to withdraw. 
he began to become more secretive. He sort of walked around the, the monastery in a real sulken kind of manner and was disconnecting from the life of the community. And in the midst of her noticing all of this, Francis approached him. And this is what Francis said to him. He said, do not be troubled, for you are dear to me, even one of those who are most dear. You know that you are worthy of my friendship and society. So therefore, come to me, come to me in confidence whenever you want, whenever you wish, and from friendship, learn faith. From friendship, learn faith. We're in our third week of a series through the book of Proverbs, a series called How Do I? Exploring the practical wisdom of this book of how is it that we live? Proverbs is one of the three books in the Old Testament that are described as wisdom literature along with Job and Ecclesiastes. They're exploring how is it the people of God live well in God's good world. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the idea of friendship. How do we cultivate meaningful friendships among the people of God? How is it that we as Christians go about friendship and what does Proverbs help us understand about this important relationship in our lives? How do we develop the kind of friendships from which we also learn faith? Now, this might seem kind of like an odd message for Father's Day to be talking about friendship, and yet at the core for all of us as parents is that we know that at some point our kids are going to grow up, and then our kids will leave home. They will no longer be dependent upon us in the same way that they were, they were when they were Ingrid's age. And the hope for us is actually in those moments that though we will continue always to be mom and dad, that we might also become known as friends that we would enter into adult friendships with our kids. And for many of us, that's the longing that we have even for our own relationships with our parents, is that we no longer need them to do our dishes, but we would like them to be the kind of people that we can rely on and call friends. Not that doing the dishes is bad, sometimes it's really helpful. So we recognize, I think, apart from our families, our friends actually make the deepest imprint in our lives that we know that our immediate families or families of origin and the families that we cultivate are important parts of our life and our friends are right alongside that. From the moment that we begin school, our friends take on a greater and greater role. Maybe if you can think about those first people that you called friends. I remember walking into Little Lamb Preschool in Garner, Iowa and meeting Andy and Jay, those that would be the first friends that I would know. And over the years, all kinds of friends might be popping in our mind, their faces and the ways that they've been present in our lives. But our friends play this great role and that even takes on greater significance when we move away from home. Some of you are in that space right now where maybe you're new to Colorado Springs or you've left family somewhere and moved here and been established here for a long time and you know the importance of friendships. Even in those moments of transition, often when we're even looking for a church, we're looking and going, okay, are the people here people that I can be friends with? 
Am I welcomed? Are there places for me to connect? Can I build friendships here? Because our friends, oftentimes for long seasons, become our primary community. This was actually not just something that's unique to us. This was true in ancient Israel. Then in ancient Israel, especially in the time of Solomon and afterwards, that as the nation stabilized and as things grew and as the population grew, what happened was is that more and more people had to move off of their family plot of land and into the cities to find work. And sometimes they would have to travel and move great distances in order to find this new life. And what would happen is, is that then they would come to rely on their friends in the same way that previous generations had relied solely on family. That that was even happening there, an urbanization movement, people moving to cities for work and looking for friends. And actually, we start to see that societal change actually reflected in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, maybe for one of the first times in the scriptures, we see friendship being talked about in a lot of ways and coming up over and over again. There's even a proverb that says this, there are persons for companionship, but there are friends who are more loyal than family. You can even hear that change happening in that sense, that there are times when our friends are closer and more loyal and more reliable than even our family happened to be. What's interesting is in Hebrew, the word that's most commonly translated as friend is also translated as neighbor. The two actually overlap. And so translators have to kind of decide, do we translate this as friend or do we translate this as neighbor? And so as we're going through the book of Proverbs and some of the passages, when you see neighbor, you can insert friend. And when you see friend, you can also insert neighbor. But the truth was for them is that they were often the same, that there was no social media and cell phones and email, that your friends were people that you lived next door to. You know, they were your neighbors as well. There weren't long distance friendships like we tried to navigate today. But at that time, they knew, as we know, the importance of friendship, that friendship is a great gift, one of the great gifts of human experience, one of the great gifts of our lives. And yet friendships are also really difficult to find and they're hard to build And they can be really difficult to sustain, especially over long periods of time where life changes so many times and our friendships change and our life change and our rhythms change. Sometimes our location and our work and our families change. So as we dive through, we're going to look at Proverbs that talk about friendship, that talk about neighboring, that talk about those kind of things. And I want to make a note here up front that when we see these things, we should always read these as a reciprocal kind of relationship. That they're talking about what we should be looking for in a friend and what our friends should be looking for in us. Friendship is a, rel- a relationship of mutuality, that there is always a give and take, a giving and receiving that makes up really the essence of friendship. So all of these passages, there's an implied reciprocity. So the first thing that we see though when we look at Proverbs is this, is that friends stay when it's hard and they leave when it's time. I'm gonna get to that in just a second. The first proverb here is this, it says, don't desert your friend or a friend of your family and don't go to your relative's house when disaster strikes because better a neighbor or better a friend nearby than a relative that is far away. One of the chief characteristics of a good friend is that he or she shows up. 
that when you think about describing a friend, if we were to come around and ask you to tell us about your best friend, you would probably talk about the ways that they were present, the ways that they showed up. Particularly, they show up when it matters most, when we need them the most. It was a group of friends that sat with me at Pizza Hut when my parents separated. It was a group of friends that stood with us at our wedding and held us together when our marriage almost ended. It was friends who came alongside of us after the miscarriage and brought us care packages and friends who carried our couches when we moved, right? This is what friends do. They show up in those places, and they're, but they're present with us in a very special or particular way because friends, as they're described in the Scripture, are present with us in such a way that that actually reminds us that God is with us. That they're present with us in such a way that it makes it possible for us to believe the idea that God is ever present with us. We know that God is present because he sends friends to represent him into our life in those moments. And in the same way, that's what we're called to be to our friends, friends who are present with them in such a way that they can imagine that God is with them in this moment. We need friends who stay. We need friends who show up. And our friends need us to do the same. But good friends also know when it's time to leave. There's a proverb, it's one of my favorites, it says this, it says, don't spend too much time in your neighbor's house or your friend's house, otherwise they'll get fed up with you and hate you. <laughs> there's, there's another proverb that I forgot, to, I didn't put on the slides today. It said, greeting a, a friend or a neighbor in the morning with a loud voice will be viewed as a curse. <laughs> like, there are just certain things that friends don't do. And one of the things that friends don't do is that they don't stay too long. Then they actually recognize that there are boundaries in relationships. Oftentimes we have this misconception, I think, about friendship that is based or solidified for us a lot of times at the end of high school, at the beginning of college, when there is just an inordinate amount of free time and space. And even in college, you think about these experiences of here are your friends in college and you're living in the same dorm together or you're in the same for, uh, sorority or fraternity. You're in this kind of connection and you're living together and you're eating all your meals together in the cafeteria and you're taking classes together and you're going on spring break together and you're just doing everything together all of the time. And what begins to develop in us is a misconception that our best friendships are boundaryless that there is no sort of like beginning and end to them, but all relationships actually have boundaries. Every single one of them does. They just don't all have the same boundaries. But as people, we have boundaries and we have limits, and so all of our relationships do. One of the reasons that they all have boundaries is because we all have limits. And those limits include our, the, the limits that we have that govern our time that govern how much time that we can spend with people or with others, the things that govern our other responsibilities, the other friendships, the other relationships, the other responsibilities that we have. The challenge, of course, in friendship is that we don't all have the same limits. Those are different for all of us. The other challenge is that our limits are never static, that they were different in high school than they were in college, and different when we got married, and different if we had kids, and different when we started the business, and then when we retired. There are all these kind of things that change 
in our lives. But one of the great threats to friendship is when our desire or our need or our capacity is greater than or less than the person that we call friend. And all of a sudden we find this disparity that either we're asking for or needing more or they are asking for or needing more and we're not able to meet all of the needs. One of the ways that just works out really practically in our relationship, Sarah, as my spouse and my best friend, she is an extrovert and an external processor. I'm the opposite. I'm an introvert and an internal processor. So trying to make space for that for one another and trying to offer, knowing that on either end of those extremes, there's some danger. So trying to offer the gifts to one another, but not forcing those things on one another and navigating and being present is a constant challenge for us in navigating our friendship. But what we have to learn to do as friends is we have to name the difference. We have to recognize it and name it. If you're in a season where you have a greater capacity or greater desire, you're wanting or needing something more from a friend, it's important to ask, to name it, to ask for it. And if your friends cannot deliver fully on what you need, to grieve that, it is okay to grieve their limits, while at the same time gratefully receive whatever they can give. And to recognize this is why we need a community of friends. Sometimes we have this idea that if we just find one friend, that if we can just find that best friend, then that best friend will be everything that we need in every moment in life. It's just not true since elementary school. Like it was true for that like really brief period of time. And then it's just not true. We actually need a community of friends. Actually, one person, one scholar described the church as a community of spiritual friends. This is actually what we're supposed to be building with one another. If you're the friend, on the other hand, though, who has less capacity, less need, less desire, then it's important also to ask, maybe for more space, ask for different boundaries, to be honest about your own limitations, to be able to speak to those things. But it's also important to give what you can and not be withholding in those situations. Sometimes those of us with those kind of limits, the temptation is just to use those as an excuse to not engage in the places that are difficult. So we have to navigate those things together. Friends show up when it matters, and they leave when it's time. They don't overstay. They recognize limits and boundaries in relationships. Second thing we see in Proverbs is that our friends give us guidance and keep our confidence. This is sort of at the core of friendship, is that our friends are those people who give us advice and also hold our confidence. Proverbs 27, 19 says, oil and incense, they make the heart glad, and the sweetness of friends comes from their advice. The sweetness of a friendship is the advice that they give. Proverbs 12 says, the righteous offer guidance to their neighbors or to their friends, but the path of the wicked makes them wander. Even that picture that we saw about Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila and Acts, that they invited Apollos into their circle of friends. And what did they do? They helped him understand the way of Jesus more accurately. They gave him advice and insight and instruction. Here's what is happening with the Proverbs. 
The Proverbs actually assume that our friends are wise and that their guidance is godly. If the person is a fool and their guidance is destructive, we don't call them friends in Proverbs. There are other words for them, fools and wicked people, right? The assumption is that our friends are wise and the guidance that they give is godly. The assumption is that they are walking the path of righteousness and the advice that they're giving us will help us to do the same thing. That our friends are those people that speak into our lives and when we listen to their voice, it will go well for us. That their words can be trusted because their lives actually give witness to the wisdom of God at work that we see it actually manifesting in their lives. I remember in different seasons of my life, particularly in that college, post-college time, where it's dating and in that discernment sort of process and trying to figure out about career and calling and as that related to marriage and those things. Some of my best friends were people who'd been married for 10 years. They were further along the way and could give insight into things that my friends that were in the same sort of space in life that I was in couldn't give. We need actually a diversity of friendships so they can speak into those things. As a dad, particularly as a girl dad, I grew up in a family of all brothers and now I have all daughters. And my oldest, Cora, is about to be 13 next year. And so I'm looking, like, where's the advice? Who are the friends that I can lean on who can help me understand what it means to parent during this season? So we need friends who will give us godly advice, godly wisdom, and our friends need us to do the same. At the same time, true friends also know when not to talk, right? Some of that's just good manners. Like, it's really hard to be friends with someone who just talks all the time sucks all of the oxygen on the room, or it doesn't allow you just simply to process something. It's just quick to give advice. Our friends, we need them to give advice, but not be giving advice to everything all the time, because then you just stop wanting to talk. Sometimes you just need a friend to listen. Sometimes you need a friend just to sit in silence with you, to acknowledge that something is hard or difficult and to pray for you. But most importantly, we need friends who are not going to share our stuff with others that we can trust, that will not gossip about us. Proverbs 2019 says, gossips reveal secrets, so don't associate with those who talk too much. Proverbs 16, 28, destructive people produce conflict and gossips alienate close friends. One of the quickest ways to end a friendship is to violate confidence. Now, there are times when violating confidence is necessary. There are times in life in order to help someone when they are posing a threat to themselves or they are posing a threat to other people that we need to talk to others, that we need to get help, that we need to surround them for the sake of their life and the life of other people. There are times that we necessarily out of love violate confidence. But most of the time when we're violating confidence, it's not for those reasons. It's just because we want an interesting story to share with this other group of friends so that we can be included on things. But true friends are those that we can trust with our vulnerability. And we know that they won't weaponize what we've shared with them against us. They won't in some way turn it against us either in our presence or in our absence to, to others. 
and that they also know that they can trust us with ours, with theirs, that we will also hold those things in sacred trust. My mother-in-law likes to say that early in a friendship, one of the ways that you can tell whether or not someone is trustworthy in this way is, is, they, is if they will gossip to you about someone else, then they will gossip about you to others. It's a good way to sort of discern if they are prone to share other people's stuff with you, it's likely that they are sharing other people's stuff or your stuff with other people. We have to be careful to cultivate the kind of friendships and to be the kind of friends that can hold those things in confidence. The third thing we see in Proverbs is that our friends are those who sharpen our character and dull quarrels. Perhaps one of the most famous Proverbs about friendship is, as iron sharpens iron, so does one person's friend sharpen another. Or the other one is, trustworthy are the bruises of a friend, but excessive are the kisses of an enemy. Related to that is this idea in Proverbs 29, people who flatter their friends spread out a net for their, pe- for their feet. In other words, they're eventually going to get caught up in a trap. According to Proverbs, our friends are the people who can challenge us and confront us. That friendship will inevitably involve some friction, but that friction is for the sake of our growth in faith. It's not just for the sake of the friction, but actually so that we might grow in faith. This is one of the reasons why Sarah, in a lot of the material that she produces for us here at the church, uses the language of spiritual friendships. So in the Proverbs, we're not talking about drinking buddies. We're talking about friends that will consistently lead us to the cross of Christ. That's the kind of friends that we're talking about that will lead us to Jesus, that will invite us into prayer, that will guide us toward his presence. And in the middle of that, they're going to need to say some hard things to us, and we're going to need to say some hard things to them. Because friendship should press us to more fully integrate our faith into our actions, into every aspect of our lives. They are are the ones who will press us in that way and will pray for us when we run out of words and will encourage us when we're not sure that we can keep going. Our friends do all of those things, but they have to be able to call us out when our life is misaligned with our faith when our life is off kilter with the way of Jesus, and we need to be able to do the same for them. Because those who only flatter us are not our friends. And those that we only flatter cannot call us friends. We have to be able to speak the truth about hard things in love to one another. Now, there is a difference though between spurring one another on to good deeds and sparring just for the sake of it. There's a big difference between spurring one another on and just trying to pick fights wherever you can. There's a couple of Proverbs here that says, what your eyes see, don't be quick to quarrel over. Or Proverbs 17, those who love an offense, those who love a quarrel, those who build a high doorway, invite a collapse. We have to recognize that in all of our relationships, we only ever see in part. And if all we do is just quickly act on everything that we see and everything that we think, we're going to get ourselves into trouble because we actually seldom know the whole story. But here's what happens. We know in part. 
And whenever there's a gap in information, what do we do? We make assumptions. We fill in the narrative. And oftentimes, we fill in the narrative in the most negative way. And then when we make those negative assumptions, we start making accusations and picking fights rather than asking questions and trusting our friends. Think about the number of times where you've been in a situation where you found out this group of friends was hanging out and you weren't invited, right? Is anybody, does this only happened to me? Nobody else? Okay, so I know this guy who has these moments in life where sometimes he's not invited to things. And what do we do in that gap? We don't know who all got together. We don't know why they got together. We don't know how the gathering happened. We don't know if it was like they all ended up in the same place at the same time and it was just, you know, it just happened or we don't know anything. But what we tell ourselves is, oh, they've been planning this for weeks. And they intentionally left me out. You know why? They're probably talking about me. I'm probably getting kicked out of the group, right? We start filling in all of those kinds of things and then we start leveraging accusations. They're so exclusive. They're so stuck up. They're so unkind. They're, you know, and it goes on and on and on. And then we start picking fights. Why didn't you invite me to that thing? We don't say, hey, I heard you guys got together. What was going on? We immediately like, how dare you not invite me to that thing? You know I wanted to be there. You didn't even know it was happening until later. But suddenly you wanted to be there. It's really hard to be friends with a fighter. That's, it's just hard. So there are times to speak up and there are times to confront things. There are times to talk. But if you're always looking to pick a fight, you won't have your pick of friends. It's just going to be hard. We have to check that inside of ourselves. The last thing that we see here in Proverbs is that friends extend forgiveness and they withhold vengeance. That this may be at the very core of friendship. Proverbs 17.9 says this, one who seeks love conceals an offense, but one who repeats it divides friends. Our friends will fail us, and we will fail our friends. There are moments, even throughout this entire conversation, there's probably been moments that have popped in your head. Oh yeah, well, there was this friend that didn't show up then. That hurt that comes up. Well, there's that friend that violated my confidence. There's this friend that gossiped about me. There's this friend that just is constantly nitpicking at every little thing in my life. You're thinking about that person. Or you remember that time, yeah, I failed. I didn't show up. That's me. I'm constantly picking a fight with my friends you know, because I'm insecure or because I'm dealing with some self-protective things. I got some hurt from the past, all kinds of reasons that we can do that can find ourselves in, on either side of that. We are going to fail one another, even healthy, godly friends. There's a kind of failing here that ends the friendship, right? There are times that there are friends who can no longer be trusted because of what they've done. They've, tro- they've proven themselves not to be friends, but to be fools or to be wicked. That's different. What I'm talking about here is our healthy, godly friends, that those people, even they will fail us and we will fail them. And so friendships can only be sustained through mutual forgiveness. The only way to have old friends is to learn how to forgive one another. 
to give and to receive forgiveness. We have to say, I'm not going to keep a record of wrongs and figure all those things out and then play that card when I need it. It's not friendship. We have to say, I'm not going to try to even the score, to hold on to that thing and just wait for the right moment to get back at them. It's not friendship. Friendship can only be sustained by extending the same forgiveness to each other that Christ has extended to us. This is one of the beautiful things about Christianity, is that we say that our very God calls us friends. That yes, we talk about the fatherhood of God and we talk about what it means to be adopted sons and daughters. That's one of the most powerful metaphors that we see in the scripture about what has happened to us in Christ. But one of the other ones that we don't talk about very often is that he also calls us friends. That God, the creator of the universe, looks at us and calls us sons and calls us daughters and calls us friends. And that friendship is established and sustained by forgiveness, by his forgiveness. It's Jesus' forgiveness that actually establishes and sustains our friendship with God. He's the one who calls us friends and gave up his life for us because we are his friends. He looked at us and said, I'm going to sacrifice myself for the sake of friendship with you. I want to be your father and I want to be your friend. But I know for a lot of us that can be really hard to imagine. That's an aspect of Christianity, both this idea of God being Father, it can be really hard for us to imagine because of our own relationships with parents, and the idea of God calling us friends can be so elusive. Yeah, but what about this? What about this thing that I want? What about this thing? How could God call me that? Why would God do that? Maybe for that person over there, but not for me. I've failed in this way. I carry this guilt. I carry this shame. I, I don't have that kind of value. And yet the scriptures teach us that God looks at every single one of us, not solely based on all these things that we sort of try to calculate, prove our worth or our worthiness. He looks at us and he sees sons and daughters and friends, period. Sees those that are created in his image and his likeness sees those that he was willing to sacrifice his only son to be in relationship with. And so this morning as we come to the table, we're coming to the one who calls us friend, we're coming to the one whose forgiveness establishes and sustains friendship. And maybe just for a moment, I would like you to imagine Jesus having the same conversation that Francis had with that young friar. Jesus having that conversation with you. That in those moments where we're tempted to distance ourselves from God, and those, those, those moments where we're tempted to tell ourselves a story about what we think God actually believes about us, in those moments that we're tempted to distance ourselves and to become sullen and to become secretive and to withdraw from the very presence of the one who invites us to come to him, can you imagine just for a moment Jesus coming to you in that space, looking you in the eye, holding your face and saying, do not be troubled. For you, 
are dear to me. Even one of those who is most dear. You know that you are worthy of my friendship and society. Therefore, come to me. Come to my table. Come to my presence. Come to me in worship and in prayer and in scripture and in anger and in fear and in grief and in guilt. Come to me in sadness and in joy. Come to me in everything, in all ways, at all time. Come to me in confidence whenever you wish. And from my friendship, learn faith. Learn that you are loved and forgiven, set free. Let's come to the table, confidence this morning. Sarah, would you lead us?